Well, as we start off this morning, I wonder whether you've ever found yourself, perhaps over this last year, asking yourself, how do I keep going as a Christian? How do I keep going? Uh, maybe you've come to, to this point, to, to this Sunday in the year, and we're mixed with all those feelings of uh, excitement and, and hope about the potential end of lockdown and life going back to normal. Mixed with all that, you, you're also feeling like, well, frankly, a bit like you're running on empty. Spiritually speaking, it's been a difficult year. Uh, Zoom has been a struggle, as great as it is. Uh, the lack of Christian community has been isolating. Uh, listening to, to sermons on YouTube from your sofa or with your kids on your knee has, has just been hard work. And so it feels a little bit like you're, you're spiritually crawling by this point. Wondering, asking, how am I meant to keep going as a Christian? And it's not just a question of whether you can keep going uh, that's in your mind. It's also a question of how to keep growing. Again, maybe this year has felt a little bit like treading water. Uh, yes, you've, you've managed to keep going, uh, but you're not sure you're really growing as a Christian. Life has just felt too much, uh, too overwhelming. And so spiritual growth, well, it's kind of been put on hold. Uh, things have, have come to a bit of a standstill, maybe even started to go backwards. And so you're left wondering, how do I keep going and how do I keep growing as a Christian? Uh, those are two big questions that we're going to be thinking about for the rest of this term because those are two big questions that the Christians in Thessalonica were asking themselves. series uh, looking at this letter from the Apostle Paul along with Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, their story begins back in Acts chapter 17 where we find out that, that this is a church, a young church full of young believers. Uh, Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he preached the gospel and in Acts chapter 17, verse 4, we're told that many Jews and Gentiles responded to his message. They believed his message about Jesus, and so they began to tell others about him. But accepting the gospel, well, it, it didn't go unnoticed. In fact, as we're going to see, it caused the Thessalonians all sorts of trouble. Such trouble that just a few weeks after arriving... Paul was forced to run for his life because the opposition was so great. Physically separated from this new vulnerable church plant, Paul writes this letter with the aim of encouraging them to, to keep going and to keep growing as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus. He longs that they will keep going as they stand firm, he says, Stand firm in the certain hope that Jesus will return. And he longs that they will keep growing, growing in love and holiness until that day comes. And so that's big, Paul's big aim as he writes this letter, encouraging the Thessalonians to keep going and to keep growing in the Christian life. 
Uh, but today in chapter 1, as we begin, there's another question that he wants to answer. Uh, before speaking about how to keep going, Paul wants to reassure the Thessalonians that they, well, that they really are Christians in the first place. That their faith is real. Or as he says in verse 4, that they have been chosen by God. And so in chapter 1, I think we see uh, at least five bits of evidence, five marks of true belief. Uh, and don't panic, although it's a five-point sermon, we're not going to go into detail in each of those. I don't think my voice is going to last uh, that either this morning. Uh, but, e- but as we go through, we're going to see that each of these five marks come up again and again in the letter. And so think of this morning as a little bit like sticking flags in the ground, markers that we're going to return to across this term. The first one is there in verse 3. Paul says, you can know you are a real Christian. Your faith is real because you work out your faith. You work out your faith. Just look at verse 2. He says, we always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite having to have left the Thessalonians early on in their life together, Paul hasn't forgotten them for a second. He loves them dearly, and so he says he always thanks God for all of them. He he constantly prays for them. And what is it that he remembers as he prays for his beloved Thessalonians? Verse 3, it's their faith, their love, and their hope. If you've ever read any of Paul's other letters, you'll know that that's a, a bit of a typical trio that he uses to describe the true Christian. Every Christian, Paul says, is someone who has put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. As we're going to see later on in the letter, they have received and believed the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose so that all who put their faith in him, all who trust in him, can receive forgiveness for their sins and eternal life with God. Christians are fundamentally people of faith, says Paul. They're also people of love. In describing what faith looks like, Jesus says to his disciples in John's Gospel, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Faith in Jesus leads to love for others. And it's a love that keeps on growing. Listen to how Paul prays for the Thessalonians in chapter 3. He says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Faith, love, and then hope. One of the big things that Paul is going to talk about in this letter is the certain hope that Christians have. At the end of every chapter... Paul lifts our eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ will return. He'll come back to judge the world and to rescue his people. And so Paul says knowing that gives real Christians hope. Not not a fingers crossed, wishful thinking kind of hope, but a certain, immovable, unchangeable hope. 
A hope that completely changes every single day of our lives. In fact, that's the case with each of those things, isn't it? I wonder if you noticed there in verse 3 that faith, love, and hope all have an impact on the way we live our day-to-day lives. Uh, Paul talks about the work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, the endurance inspired by hope. And so it's as though he says to the Thessalonians, look, I know these things are real in you because I can see them. What you believe can be seen in the way you behave. And that's a connection that the that the New Testament repeats over and over again, isn't it? Whether Jesus talks about our belief bearing fruit in the way that we live, or, or James drawing the connection between our faith and our works, or Paul here talking about living lives pleasing to God, the picture we see time and time and time again is that what we believe can be seen in how we behave. And so that's the first question for us as we start this letter. Can your belief in Jesus be seen in the way you behave each day? Are you working out your faith? Are you laboring in love for others? Are you persevering in hope? If so, then Paul says, be encouraged. Be encouraged because that is evidence that God is at work in you. The next mark is there in verse 4. You welcome the word, says Paul. In Acts chapter 17, as we've already said, Paul was persecuted for preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. He was chased out of town by an angry mob. and In fact, they were so angry that they followed him to the next town and started persecuting Paul there also. He was persecuted for preaching the gospel. And so the obvious implication was that if the Thessalonians were going to believe that gospel, well, then they would face a very similar treatment. And that's exactly what happens. In Acts 17, we see that the Thessalonians faced a similar persecution right from day one. But amazingly, that doesn't stop them welcoming the gospel. Verse 6 says, Uh, Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Like Paul, the Thessalonians welcomed the message about Jesus even in the face of severe opposition. And not only that, Paul says they welcomed it with joy. And he says, look, there's only one explanation for that kind of response. There's only one way that someone would happily, joyfully welcome a message, even if it meant they were going to get persecuted for it. What is that reason? Well, it's that God's Spirit is powerfully at work in them. Did you see that in verse 5? In verse 5, Paul preached the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And so, verse 6, the Thessalonians welcomed the gospel in the joy of the Spirit. Uh, We've said a number of times over this year that uh, as we've looked at books like Acts and 1 Peter and we've heard from organizations like Release International that we don't face persecution anywhere near like this. It's been clear that, that many Christians around the world and throughout history 
face far worse, far more severe opposition than we do today. But we've also seen, haven't we, that that, that is changing somewhat. Uh, Steve McAlpine in his book, uh, Being the Bad Guys, writes this. He says, the tide has shifted. Increasingly, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. It's no longer an option, but a problem. Uh, The seat at the cultural table that we assumed was ours for keeps is increasingly being given to others. We are on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. If, if this was a Western, he says, we would be the, the guys wearing the black hats and whose appearance is accompanied by that foreboding soundtrack. It's come as a surprise. We're not really sure how it's happened. We don't like it and we don't feel like we deserve it. But we are the bad guys now. And so the next question for us to think about is this. Will I continue to welcome the gospel into my life, even if it's going to cost me? Will I keep following Jesus, even as I increasingly become one of the bad guys in society? And actually, it's not just a case of receiving the gospel. It's also a question of whether I'll share it with others. That's the next mark that we see in verse 7 and 8, that you witness to the world. That you witness to the world, verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Uh, The response of the Thessalonians was, was personal. They welcomed the gospel with joy. It was personal, but it wasn't private. They didn't keep the gospel to themselves. Instead, news of their newfound faith seems to have spread around the surrounding regions. And did you notice how it spreads? It was through their words and their actions. As we've already seen, what they believed changed the way they behaved. And so in verse 7, their lives became a model. We're going to hear much more about that later on. An example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But it wasn't just their model lifestyle. It was also their message. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. And so the people in Macedonia and Achaia and all the surrounding areas could not only see the effects of the gospel in their lives, but they heard it as the Thessalonians proclaimed the good news about Jesus. And again, today, there aren't many things more encouraging than hearing another believer talk about how they have been sharing the gospel with the people around them. Because no matter how awkward it feels, no matter how many times we fumble our words or give a bit of a confused answer to someone's question, the desire to keep living and keep speaking for Jesus is evidence that God is at work in you. And so be encouraged, Paul says. Work, welcome, witness, and then fourth, we see that you walk away from idols. You walk away from idols. Before Paul comes to preach the gospel in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians' lives 
that their entire lives revolved around the religions of their day, the idols of their day. Whether it was up at the temple, in, in temple worship, or in their household gods, they lived and breathed idolatry. Even more than that, in those days, Caesar, the emperor of Rome, was treated as divine. He was worshipped by the people as God. And so when Paul says in verse 9 that you turned to God from idols, we have to understand that is not a small thing. It's not, it's not a lifestyle change like going vegan or plastic free. No, this is turning your back on the things that form the very foundations of the society that you live in. The things everyone else lives for. We can see how shocking that was back in Acts 17. Listen to what the crowd say as the gospel comes to their town. They dragged Jason, that's a believer, and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. You see what's going on? In responding to the gospel, in turning from dead idols to the living God, the crowd say it's like the Thessalonians have turned the world upside down. Why is that? What, What could cause such a dramatic change of life? Well, it's because they've recognized who the true king is. That's what the crowds in Acts say, isn't it? They're saying there's another king, Jesus. You see, the Thessalonians have come to see that that Jesus Christ, not Caesar, is the true king. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, he is the the risen son of God, the, the rightful ruler of the universe. And so he is the one we should turn to. He is the one we should give our allegiance to. And so again, you can see, can't you, how a change of belief leads to a change of behavior. Recognizing that Jesus is king means turning away from the things that once ruled our lives, the things that society worships, and instead giving our allegiance to King Jesus. The Bible has a word for that turning, doesn't it? Repentance. That's what it literally means, to repent, to turn around. And so we repent on the day we first trust in Jesus. Just like the Thessalonians, our lives up until that point are heading in one direction, heading away from God. We live for and trust in all sorts of other things. Success acceptance, relationships, possessions, popularity, anything and everything except for God. But then one day, one day God's word came to us in the power of the Spirit and our eyes were opened. We saw clearly for the very first time the utter emptiness of the idols of this world and the sheer beauty of King Jesus. And so we turned. We turned and we started walking in a different direction. Against the flow of the world, we began to follow Jesus. 
Our lives are all about him now. That's what happened when we first repented. When we first turned to and trusted in Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because we all know that, that every day we're, we're tempted, we're drawn back to the idols around us. Every day we're drawn back to, to wanting to live for things other than King Jesus. And so every day we need to repent. Every day we need to turn back to Jesus and, and come to him for forgiveness and turn back to him and come to him for help to keep going, to keep living for him. And so Paul says, look, I, I know that your faith is real, Thessalonians, because you've walked away from the idols of this world and you've turned towards the living God. You've turned back to King Jesus. And verse 10, you do that every day until Christ returns. Which brings us to the final mark that we see this morning, that you're waiting for Jesus. You're waiting for Jesus. At the end of verse 9, Paul says, They tell how you turned from God, uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There are all sorts of things that we wait for in life, aren't there? And we, we wait for them in different ways. Uh, so waiting for a train or a bus is a, a pretty tedious a boring activity, a pretty passive experience. Uh, we tend to stand around flicking through our phones, getting slightly impatient and annoyed with those that might be jumping the queue. Uh, that, that's waiting for a bus. But there's other kinds of waiting. Uh, waiting for a holiday or, or waiting for June the 21st uh, and lockdown restrictions changing. Uh, that's a different kind of wait, isn't it? full of eager anticipation, excitement. It, it's active. We, we prepare and we plan. We count down the weeks and the days. We long for that moment to arrive. And it goes without saying that that is the kind of waiting that Paul talks about in verse 10. Waiting for Jesus is active. It, it's exciting. It's something that real believers long for. What does it look like day to day? Well, that's chapter one, isn't it? That's what we've seen. Waiting for Jesus looks like working out your faith. It looks like laboring in love and persevering in hope. Waiting for Jesus looks like welcoming the gospel, continuing to receive God's word with joy despite opposition. Waiting for Jesus looks like witnessing to the world. Uh, declaring these things to the people that we meet in the, in the things we say and the things we do. Waiting for Jesus looks like walking away from the idols of this world and serving the living and true God. Uh, making Jesus the number one priority of your life. And so you see, waiting for Jesus is nothing like waiting for a bus. It's not passive, it's not boring. It's exciting, it's life-changing, it's longing for the day that Jesus will return to rescue his people, to take us to be with him forever. And so again, the question is, what about you? Are you waiting for Jesus to come back? Is that a day that you long for? 
Do you live each day in the light of that day? Because that is evidence that God is at work in you. Now, as I said at the start, this morning is all about putting flags in the ground. And so we've, we've flown through five things there and just scratched the surface of each of them. But don't worry, because we're going to return to them in much more depth as we go through the rest of this letter. But just as we close, I just wanted to make two brief suggestions. The first is to pray. That's how Paul begins this letter, isn't it? And this section in verse 2 by talking about his constant prayer for all the Thessalonians. And so whether you found Paul's words this morning particularly encouraging as you thought about the evidence of God's work in your life, or you found it more of a challenge this morning, wondering whether you can see these marks at all. Either way, the, the first and the best thing to do is to pray. Give thanks to God, as Paul does, for the evidence of his work in your life and the lives of others. Ask him to show you the areas that that you need to grow in this morning. And as you do, remember that as Paul says in verse 5, it's, it's God who works in us by the power of his Spirit. We are completely dependent upon him for absolutely everything. And so we need to pray. And then secondly, we need to talk. I don't know about you, but, but often we're not the best judges of ourselves, are we? We find it hard sometimes, I think, to see how we've changed, how God has been working in us. We find it even harder to see our own blind spots. It's why they're called blind spots. So why not find a Christian friend to talk to, ask them how they have seen God working in your life, perhaps over this last year. Ask them to pray that that you would keep going and keep growing in the Christian life. Keep growing in faith, hope and love. And as well as asking someone else, go and encourage someone that you have seen God working in. Talk to them about the marks of faith that you have seen in their life and encourage them to keep going. That's what Paul is doing in writing this letter. He is encouraging the Thessalonians that God is at work in them so they can keep going and keep growing. And that is something that we can do for each other. So let's pray that God would help us to do these things this week. Let's pray together. Paul prays right at the very end of his letter these words. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Our Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the work of your spirit in our lives. Thank you for the many ways that we've been encouraged over this year as we've seen you working in the lives of your people. Father, we pray that as we think and pray about um, your work in us and what it means to have real faith, that like Paul, our confidence would be in you 
the God who is faithful, the God who has promised to do it.